Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. Those of you who don't know what it's like to be in a house with a two-year-old, uh, this morning I would like to peel back the curtain a little bit. Um, for some, this may trigger some PTSD. Uh, I'm only slightly joking. For some others, this is a sign of things to come. Uh, this is a mashup video of, of what it's like to live with a, a, a two-year-old at your house. It's going to be playing behind me. This is my son, Monty. Um, who every day makes it his mission to smash something is half-naked golf on the couch. Um, every day makes it his mission to hit something with a stick. Always at the loudest volume, right? He's trying to, yeah, he's, that's Lottie's like Barbie, like jumping furniture, yeah. Um, he's always dirty. <laughs> Most of the time he stinks. Um, yeah. Um, having a toddler is like one long game of what's that stain. It's, it's just, look, uh, there's a lot of laughter uh, there's some tears, there's a, f- a few hugs, and even fewer smoochies or kisses. Um, but as a parent, as a parent, we want to cherish these moments, right? Because these seasons are fleeting. Lottie was the same way. She's seven now, not so much like that. She has her own stuff. Um, raising a two-year-old is a blessing, and Leslie than I cherish the fact that we get to be Monty's parents, and Lottie's as well. Um, but for this analogy, for this morning, for this message... We need a two-year-old kid, all right? And when you're the pastor's kids, there's just, there's a ripe to be picking uh, for analogies. I did ask Monty if I could use some of his videos this morning, and he said, huh? And Daddy Uppy, so, um, which I picked him up. Um, But this morning, I want you to try to imagine having a two-year-old at your house, right? I believe that'll help paint the picture for our passage in our context, and and imagine stepping into this, to this house uh, to crown this two-year-old king, okay? And your journey to get there wasn't easy. Your journey to get there was filled with twists and turns, schemes and hidden agendas. Um, it's an adventure prime for the silver screen. You know those, like, movies where there's, like, seven or eight different plots, and at the end they all kind of come together to make this one plot? And it's like, oh, not my favorite movies at all. My least favorite genre of movies. It's kind of like that where expectations are subverted at every turn. And this adventure starts back in the Old Testament. It's interwoven through the Gospel of Matthew, through the rest of the New Testament, through the early church, and even church continues to this day. Um, And it starts with this takeaway, and this is the main takeaway this morning on your notes, if you take notes, that Jesus is Lord over all, over every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every Jew and Gentile, Jesus is Lord. So this morning, the challenge for us is to forget everything that we know about the three kings of Orient, all right, is to approach this story in a fresh way with, with a clean slate, to open our ears like it's the first time that we've heard this story, and to open our hearts as if the Lord has a special plan and purpose for us here today, which we believe he does. Our text is from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. It's going to be behind me. I'm going to, re- I'm going to be reading us from the message Um, And so it might be a little different in your Bible. If you don't have the message, you can follow along. This is Matthew 2, 1 through 12. That's what it says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, Judah territory, this was during Herod's kingship, a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. 
they asked around, where can we find and pay homage to this newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on a pilgrimage to worship him. When word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. And not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religious scholars in the city together and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him, Bethlehem, Judah territory. The prophet Micah wrote it plainly. It's you, Bethlehem, and Judah's land, no longer bringing up the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule my people, my Israel. Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars from the east, pretending to be as devout as they were. He got them to tell him exactly when the birth announcement star appeared. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, Go, find this child. Leave no stone unturned. As soon as you find him, send word, and I'll join you at once in your worship. Mm -hmm. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again, the same star they had seen in the eastern skies. It led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome, they kneeled and worshipped him. Then they opened their luggage and presented gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In a dream, they were warned not to report back to Herod, so they worked out another route left the territory without being seen, and returned to their own country. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word, for this message. And God, thank you for what you have prepared before us this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and fill this place. Father, show us your glory this morning. May, may your kingdom come face to face with our kingdom. May we respond to you accordingly. And it's in our name that we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, we find ourselves in the story of the Magi. Now, if I can get through the entire message without saying Magi, that's going to be great. But they're the Magi, or the three kings, as we have traditionally been taught. And if we were to read the text carefully, church, we would find a few surprising revelations. Uh, the first spoiler alert is that they're not actually kings. All right? Um, and, and double spoiler alert, it doesn't say there are three of them. Go back and read it. It never says there are three of them. We just attribute the number three because of the gifts that they brought. But the size of the group is never mentioned. And triple spoiler alert, they're not at the manger. They're not at a barn. They're not at a stable. So all the nativity scenes, all the Christmas cards, I'm sorry. It's not what Matthew says. All right, they're at a home in Bethlehem. And quadruple spoiler alert, I'm just shattering everything right now. Quadruple spoiler alert, there wasn't this like huge bright arrow pointing at Jesus' house saying this is the place. Look, when they got there, there wasn't a line around the block to go see this new king. Right? They really didn't know what they were following. Herod didn't really see it. Most of the people in Jerusalem didn't see it. A lot of Herod's scholars and wise people didn't see it. But it took these experts from the East who understood stars and placement for them to say, hey, this one that appeared is telling us there's a new king. And it was pretty much unnoticed to everyone else. All right? And so just in a span of 15 seconds, Sinakatomi Plaza, all your Christmas traditions and worldviews, right? You just have, like, what is going on? Sorry if I ruined your Christmas cards. Um, and that's all from simply looking at the text, 
You know, it, it's, it's crazy what you can learn when you read the Bible, isn't it? Isn't it? Um, the Magi, there are star players this morning, pun intended. Um, and they're going to serve as our focal point as we make other observations and ask the Lord, God, what is your text challenging us to do today? Which I think is always good when you read the text. Read the Bible. God, what are you challenging us to do today? First thing I want us to notice is the, the, the Magi's pedigree. Um, look, the, the Magi, they're not Jewish, okay? It might not seem like a big deal to us, but it holds some fairly major significance. These Magi, they're, they're Gentiles, all right? They're foreigners from a different land and religion. These group of, of people were astrologers. They were experts in interpreting dreams and signs and other strange happenings. They, were often, they often were counselors to kings and rulers, viewed as, as wise men, um, experts in their field of study. We actually see this happening um, throughout the Bible. If you were to look, maybe made a note. Maybe, maybe you want to make a note in your notes. Daniel 2, King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament has a dream. He doesn't understand what it means. And so he calls on his wise men and rulers and experts in dreams and stars and astrology to say, hey, what does this dream mean that happens in Daniel 2? Kind of the same thing here. But, but this group of people, these wise men, uh, they're from Persia and Babylon in the east, east of Judah, in the land of the Chaldeans. And, and church, right from the jump, right from the jump, at the very start of Jesus' life, Matthew is showing the inclusion of the Gentiles in the gospel. Right? And in their acknowledgment and worship of Jesus as the newborn king of the Jews, they're also acknowledging his lordship over their life. Announcing his rule and his reign over all peoples of the earth. Not only the Jewish people, but all peoples. They're announcing that all can come and all can worship. And this is demonstrated from the very start of Jesus' life. Jesus is Lord over all, our main takeaway, right? Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every Jew and Gentile, Jesus is Lord. Matthew's showing the inclusion of the Gentiles as an integral part of the gospel. And, and although the gospel of Matthew was written primarily for a Jewish audience, he didn't want them or us this morning to miss this wonderful truth about the gospel, that all can come and all can worship. We just sang about that, right? Hope for everyone. The team did a great job this morning. I missed being up there. It's weird. I wish I needed to be preaching with a guitar. I think that's why I hold a microphone, because I just like, what am I going to do with my hands if I don't have something? Um, the second thing I want us to notice this morning is the Magi's role in prophecy fulfillment here in Matthew 2. Uh, the, the Magi's are active players in fulfillments of prophecy. For because of them... Jesus and his family flee to Egypt due to Herod's decree that all boys ages two and under in Bethlehem are to be killed. And we can see this in Hosea 11.1, 1, and that's what, that's what they, uh, Matthew quotes in Matthew 2.15 here. Out of Egypt I called my son. Church, if we were to keep reading Matthew 2 this morning, we would find that Herod became pretty upset that the Magi didn't return to him. His way to tell him who it was and where they were, that was to be the newborn king of the Jews, as they had previously agreed upon. Right, that he didn't know the name and location of this newborn king. Um, also, we would find out that Herod wasn't going to go there to worship this king. He was going, rather, to kill this king, to snuff out this new king. For this new king was a threat to Herod's political power and his political stance and his rule. Right, And so since Herod didn't get to know the name or place of this newborn king, he does what 
any Herod or Pharaoh would do in this situation, just kill everybody, right? Um, Everyone two years and younger, kill them all. And so Jesus is living with this price on his head. Born into this world of of turmoil and hate and violence. And there is a strange comfort, church. There's a strange comfort in knowing that Jesus lived a a pretty stressful life, a pretty fear-inducing life in this anxious world where some of us might not live with the day-to-day fear of looking over our shoulder for fear of our life. Um, We do serve a God who knows what that day-to-day struggle is like. N.T. Wright, um, Pastor Christian, he's alive. Sorry, buddy. I know you, you love quoting dead guys. He's one of my favorite theologians. He's an Anglican priest in the UK. He puts it this way. He said, there's no point if you're Jesus. There's no point if you're God. There's no point in arriving in comfort when the world is in misery. No point in having an easy life when the world suffers violence and injustice. You know, church, we serve a God who sent his son to live a perfect sinless life in this jacked up, backwards, violent, perverted world. To live among our muck and mire and to come and bring redemption and restoration. And he knows what that's like. Joseph, he's warned of this violence. Joseph, uh, father of Jesus and Mary's husband, he's warned of this massacre in a dream. And uh, off they go in the night, poof gone. Now, um, I was looking back at some of my notes from my previous messages here, and I have to admit, a lot of my um, movie illustrations fall flat here um, for whatever reason, and so I'm going to try a different illustration here to illustrate this point. Um, Like the Baltimore Colts to Indianapolis in 1984, you guys with me here? Poof, gone through the night. A little better, I feel like. Okay. And so it's fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And if any of this sounds familiar to you, like if you feel like something similar has happened in the Bible before, well, then you're on the right track. And you're kind of where Matthew wants you to be. Because this flight to and return from Egypt, together with the slaughter of the innocent, served to make Jesus a New Testament Moses figure, which is incredibly important to the people of Israel, um, which would have been glaringly obvious to any Jewish person hearing this gospel read aloud. The Exodus story is ingrained in their minds at a very young age. The Jewish people under Roman rule at this time are already waiting and longing for their new Moses, for this new Savior to redeem, to come and save them, to restore their kingdom and power and might. You know, Jesus is never described in Matthew as the new Moses, never even described as a prophet like Moses, but... Their explicit references throughout Matthew um, would not have been lost on someone hearing this read aloud. Um, And the similarities in the gospel of Matthew doesn't end with Matthew 2 here. Listen to this. Um, Jesus in Matthew 4 wanders in the wilderness for 40 days, right, which is really cool. Uh, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount is soaking with mosaic imagery. Some even describe this as the new Torah. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, I have... Not come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill it. Yeah, look at you guys this morning. I wonder what the 11 o'clock, if they're going to be able to fill in the blank. We'll see. Moses is even there on the Mount of Transfiguration in in Matthew 17. You know, part of Jesus' role in vocation is to make Israel's story complete. 
You know, he, he did come to redeem and restore and save their people, not in the way they thought, not in the way they wanted, but he did come for his people, right? And juxtaposing him to Moses throughout the Gospel of Matthew helps show how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. Church, even the gifts the wise men bring echo the sentiment that Jesus has come to make Israel's stories complete and our story complete. Gold is given to a king. It's, it's earth's most worldly, um, valuable thing. They, they give it to this somewhere along the ages of birth and two-year-old little baby Jesus. Frankincense was usually given to a priest, commonly used in the ancient Near East and during religious rituals. It's used in temple practices, and a lot of times these temples would, would reek of, of slaughter or sacrifices. It would be really bloody, and it would just smell. It would be awful. And frankincense was used to improve smell. We actually used this at our middle school lodging at summer camp. Um, we don't. We do, but we, we don't. Um, and, and myrrh was given uh, to prophets. They were given to prophets. And myrrh was given as a burial um, and purification embalming fluid. It's oil. It's like a bitter perfume used when someone dies for um, for that situation. So we're seeing, even in these gifts, this full picture of Jesus born to die. That's what the angel tells Joseph. He will save his people from their sins. The entire cycle of the sacred story in the gospel is here in these gifts for the Israelites and for us. The third thing, the Magi's place in the gospel narrative. Not only is this expressed in the three gifts that they bring, but the, but the Magi progress the gospel narrative found in Matthew. Now, some really, really cool parallels here found in Matthew of Jesus' birth and death. And I try to make this chart here. See if you can fill in your notes or follow along. Just in Matthew 2 alone, listen to how there's interconnectivity in the gospel of Matthew. The Magi, as we talked about, they are Gentiles, um, proclaiming Jesus as king of the Jews, right? Can you guys read that? Is that too small? No? All right. All right. Um, but so are the guards at the cross at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Right? In Matthew 27, they too are Gentiles. And they too hang a sign over Jesus' head that reads, he is what? Mm. Come on. Matthew 27, 37. One even later solemnly proclaims, truly he is the Son of God. And these are the only two Gentiles in Matthew that proclaim Jesus is Lord. Is the the three is the almost said three wise men. See, it's hard to get out of that. Are uh, these magi and this solemn guard saying truly he is the only two Gentiles in Matthew that, that, that make this proclamation? Oh, it doesn't stop there, it gets better. But wait, there's more, right? The magi are warned in a dream not to go back. Pilate's wife, church, is warned in a dream as well in Matthew 27, 19. Slightly different warning and message, but this. It's still a dream warning nonetheless, right? The Magi are led by some bright light to the Messiah. And when Jesus died, a complete darkness covers the earth. Look, the Bible, just, the Bible is so interconnected, interwoven together. It truly is a masterpiece, truly inspired by God and is beautiful. The Bible church is one long narrative, all pointing to Jesus with Jesus at the center. These connections, these Gentile bookends to life of Christ are given as a clear message that, yes, Jesus is Lord over all, over every tribe, every tongue, every nation. 
every Jew and Gentile, Jesus is Lord. Matthew is showing that all can come and all can worship. Whereas, yes, he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets for the Jews. And yes, he could be seen as a new Moses, but he is for everyone else. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is Lord over all, every tribe, every tongue and nation, every Jew and Gentile, Jesus is Lord. Matthew even ends his gospel with this in mind. People, come on. Jesus commissions his followers to go out and make disciples of all nations, right? Not just the Jewish people, but all nations. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching them to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every race, every color, every social class. Go! Share my message. Share my good news. Share my gospel. I've come for all. So you go. And I believe the Magi have a place and purpose for us this morning as well. Not just their pedigree, which was intentional. Not just their role in prophecy fulfillment and gospel advancement, which was necessary. But they're challenging this morning, church. They're challenging us to join them in their journey to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and King. They're inviting us to say, hey, come with us. Let's worship the king. Come with us. Let's acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord. They're saying, come, come with us. Right? And seek the Lord just as they were curious and they were focused. You know, they weren't sure where the star would take them. They just said, hey, this star means a new king is born. Let's follow it and go. We don't know where. It's led us here to, to Jerusalem. I start asking around, and they kind of made some waves. Everyone was scared and terrified. What does this mean? Right? They didn't know, but they were curious, and they had one focus on the Lord. They knew it was significant, and they had to go check it out. May we have that same hunger. As we are joining them on this journey, may we have that same hunger, church. May we have that same curiosity and that same focus, the focus on the Lord. May we have a hunger for God's word. May we store his word in our hearts. And just like the Magi, constantly be looking out for God's presence. I'm reminded of this passage in John 1, 9 through 10. The true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world, and he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Sounds like a pretty appropriate Matthew 2 passage here. Church, may we recognize the Lord in everyday life. Don't stop looking. May we seek the Lord as diligently as the Magi. May we see God's signposts and significance every part of our life. As they're inviting us on this journey to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, may we do so with their perseverance that the Magi showed. Continually pursuing the Lord in the midst of obstacles and agendas. Right? Even when more and more items and responsibilities get added to our plate. Even when we might not know where it's headed, may we continue to pursue the Lord. Even when we feel overwhelmed, battling illness or family holiday plans, church, may we continue to pursue the Lord. Through schemes and manipulations and trials, when everything seems lost, may we continue to pursue the Lord. To say, focus on this light and pursue the Lord. May we Pursue the Lord as diligently as the Magi did. As they're inviting us on this journey to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and King, may we do so with the humility that the Magi showed. The Magi's willingness to say yes to something that they, they didn't quite get. 
the humility to follow something. They didn't really know what would be required of them. As we join them on this journey, may we have the same humility and wanting to discover and seek new experiences, right? To let go of any preconceived notions or expectations, to surrender how we think church should go or how church should look or how worship should sound or what songs we should sing, to surrender all of that. And this humility that acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord, that whenever we do find ourselves in the presence of God, that we stop, set up shop, we pitch our tent, and rest in his presence. Even if it takes you to a loud, maybe slightly dangerous house of a two-year-old, right? And truly worship him. That humility. Maybe worship the Lord as humbly as the Magi did. Jesus is Lord over all church, over every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every Jew and Gentile. Jesus is Lord. In this Advent season, we are called to bring our very best to him. To not lose sight or be distracted. To stay focused on the light. And whenever we do arrive in the presence of God, or we find ourselves in the middle of God's presence, to lay everything we have before him, before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and worship him for he is truly king. Through our challenges, through our misdirections, through our manipulations, and and through the cheats, to seek the Lord and worship him for he is king. When you don't feel like you belong or obstacles are in your way, to seek the Lord and worship him for he is king. For when we are unsure of meanings or direction, And we're simply operating on faith that that God is there somewhere to do so and worship him for he is king. For he's hard to find. There's this beacon in the middle of the darkness to worship him for he is king. Church, I want to invite you to stand with us this morning. And we're just going to pray. I believe there's a few clear calls that we'd like to um, ask prayer for. But I just want to pray, church, and see what happens.